Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, for those who um, haven't, we haven't met before, um, I want to start off by sharing a little bit about uh, myself and where I came from before I got into practice as a, a way of uh, opening up to a topic that um, isn't talked about so much, but I think is quite um, important and relevant. Um, and that is um, the mind that can have wisdom, but the body can still be in fear. Um, I um, I came to practice out of a lot of um, pain and confusion and um, um, great insecurity, as perhaps some of you can relate to. Um, and uh, I pretty much... I was very shy when I was a kid. My parents would go to open school week and they'd come back and they'd say, the, the teachers say you're a good student, you're very nice, but why don't you raise your hand? Why don't you, why don't you ever open up your mouth? You know? I was just very painfully shy, um, except for my close friends, but in, in groups, and here I am talking to groups, this is how it sometimes works. And uh, in new situations, I would feel um, um, fear. Um, really, I, I, it, was, it was hard to look in the mirror and without wincing till I was about, oh, maybe a late teens. And then I said, okay, this is who I am. But uh, it, was, it was not easy. I didn't like myself very much. Um, and when I came to practice, out of that pain and suffering, I was tremendously motivated because I saw for the first time the possibility of not being run by my neurotic thought patterns that had pretty much been running my life. I never thought there was another option, but when I first met uh, Joseph Goldstein. I've mentioned this to some people who have heard, heard me say this. And here was this guy who was just a couple of years older than, than me. First, he didn't impress me very much and thought, you know, so this is the great meditation teacher. <laughs> you know, he sounded like he was from Brooklyn. I was from Queens, you know. And he didn't seem very regal and powerful. And um, after a few minutes of getting into judging the package, uh, I listened to what not only what he had to say, but where he was coming from. And the fact that he was not so different from me was also juxtaposed with the fact that he was very different from me, that he knew something that I wanted to know that I knew I hadn't gotten in touch with. There was a kind of clarity and depth and ease and um, inner strength that I, I thought for the first time might be possible, particularly when he said it was possible. And the Buddha has a great line, which is one of my favorite lines, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. Just try that one on for a moment. But it is possible, and so I, I teach you. And so I had never quite entertained that possibility for me in that way before. I had certainly been inspired and was hungry for the spiritual life. I carried around Be Here Now like a Bible for about three years before then. Uh, but this was somebody saying, you can practice and develop the heart and the mind. And out of my own pain, I just 
dove in hook, line, and sinker. And I became very passionate, as I'm talking about passion, uh, I have a lot of passion for things. I'm very intense about football, about uh, movies, about lots of things. And I became very passionate about something that, um, that cooled me out and that brought some real clarity. And if somebody said 28 years ago that it was actually possible to uh, like myself and to feel good about who I am and be comfortable in my skin, you know, before I met Joseph, I would have said, you know, not a chance. But uh, it is possible. And um, the practice is extraordinarily profound, transforming, and, uh, and magical, really. And when people say, well, what happens, uh, you know, what happens to you? Do you, do you, ever, do you ever get confused anymore? You know, I kind of, you know, inwardly rolling my eyes, I'm very respectful outside, and say, uh, yes, I get confused, you know. It happens from time to time. But what happens also over time is that one doesn't get lost for too long. The, the more that the practice is rooted in your being, there's a home that you come back to. There's a homing device and a centeredness that you come back to that you know is true, that, that's become, that home becomes watered and nourished and that, that baseline of connection is more available and from time to time we um, we go off and get caught in old habits and old tapes old patterns and then we can come back and say oh yeah I just got confused there so yes I do definitely get confused But there's a a difference about it, that I can hold it in a whole different way. However, from time to time, when one is confused, and I'll speak for myself, when I get confused, there's different levels of those old habits and patterns being activated. There can be getting lost in your story and just realize, wake up after a while, say, oh, boy, got really caught in that one, you know. And then there's coming back to a sense of ease. But sometimes the story can activate a whole visceral response, which is more than just a cerebral foray into confusion, but the body gets tripped up into that place of feeling really small or young or frightened. And even though the mind knows better, there's still this experience that the residue stays for a while. Do you know what I mean? Now, this can be very disconcerting, particularly when it seems like you've had some genuine understanding. Why am I getting caught, the mind says. I know better. These thoughts are empty. This is just a story I've told myself. I see it clearly. And yet, that contracted, small feeling is still around. And this can be doubly confusing when you think you've discovered the answer. Ah, 
I just have to be mindful. I used to think that's all I've got to do. That's my ultimate trump card for everything. Aha! I just need to be mindful. Okay. And when the trump card gets trumped, <laughs> or gets, is, is dissolved, or is not effective, then things get a little bit dicier. Because then, often, we don't know what to do. Now, this can be particularly humbling if you're in, in the role of giving, imparting the Dharma, of giving a Dharma talk, of, of being somebody who others project on as having it all together. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's a, it's, a, it's a somewhat of an occupational hazard being in, in this role if one thinks, oh, I shouldn't get caught anymore. And it's, it's not only in the one who takes the Dharma seat. If you're the, the rock among your friends, if you're the person who they turn to, and I would, I would imagine that most everybody here, for somebody in their life who's not practicing, um, that y- if you've made Dharma practice and the Dharma the center of your life, you have a a connection to, to a groundedness, a centeredness, a perspective that allows you to hold things in a way that probably people find very comforting. Would you say that's so? How many people would say that for some, somebody in their life, your Dharma practice, um, whether or not they know it, that you meditate or that you're, you're practicing, is, uh, is, uh, is a real gift because of the, the centeredness that you can bring. I'm just curious. Okay. Okay, so, you don't have to be giving Dharma talks. You know, when people look to you and say, oh, thank goodness there's somebody who I can turn to who's not afraid or who's really grounded in there. And then, you find yourself feeling, you know, like you're back in third grade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really humbling. I want to talk a little bit about this to, today. What do we do with this? I, and the reason why it came up was it's about um, it was a couple of months ago that this this happened to me. Um, it was kind of like uh, feeling quite happy in my life, uh, quite connected and together and doing a lot of good creative things. And I'm not quite sure what the sequence of events was, but sometimes when there's, um, there's one... Um, difficult experience on top of another, very close together, the, the spaciousness and ease can somehow be challenged. And then if there's a little bit of a, a shakiness in the body, I think there was somebody whose um, uh, son had, uh, somebody whose child had uh, committed suicide, and there was uh, another life-threatening illness, and there were like three or four things that happened real close together, and my center got a bit shaken. Um, and then there's this, this thought, oh my goodness, I'm feeling young again. Mm-hmm. And then it's, oh no, I don't want to feel young again. You know, boom, which just invites it. I, I forget exactly what the sequence was, but... <laughs> There I, I was in this old, familiar, although it had been quite some time since I felt it, that, that space where I felt like an imposter. I felt like I, I would be seen. You know? And of course, the one thing to do in that case is to start talking about it, particularly if you're you know, in the Dharma seat. So I was dealing pretty well with it. 
and saying, oh yeah, I'm going through kind of contracted time. But inwardly, it's like, what, what do I do here? What do I do? And uh, actually, then I, I spoke with, um, no, the, the teachers had a, a teacher meeting uh, uh, last month. And there was somebody who came to, the, it was a two-day teacher meeting. And one of the teachers who I'm, I'm close with uh, shared with me um, their anxiety was coming up and how difficult it was, you know, and how um, vulnerable they felt and kind of felt a little bit um, concerned that they couldn't just be themselves. And, uh, and we started talking about it and I was sharing that, oh yeah, just the previous few weeks I had very similar experience and and just in the talking and we we talked things out uh, and just kind of seeing this dilemma that, that people go through and we 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 talked about what we do and um, just in that talking it was really helpful for for this person and we kind of took it on as as a practice and I said you know I'll be your your Dharma buddy when you when you get that feeling of being young, and it was it was really good. So I thought, well, let, let's talk about this. Some of the things that that we came up with. The um, the image that that I likened this to is um, the first time I ever heard myself on tape. Do you remember? The very first time you heard yourself on a tape recorder, this is like, you know, maybe 30 or 40 years ago or so. What was that like? What was it like for you? Huh? I remember being very surprised. It was like somebody else. It was different, like... Different uh, voice tone, mm -hmm. different meaning coming out. It was mm -hmm. startling. Very startling. Some, like somebody else, a different voice tone or... Uh, like somebody else yeah, you were going to say? Yeah, I remember it very shocking when I was adamant. Even though I knew I had this recording myself, that is not me. I <laughs> not me. I do not sound like that. Right. And because we hear ourselves from inside our heads, right. rather than outside. Right. It's like they're pushing away and numbing. Right. This is not me. <laughs> no matter what somebody, even though they're saying the words I just recorded into the microphone. This cannot be me shocking, adamantly uh, saying that. Well, that, that's the kind of, that's exactly the kind of feeling I had. And I remember not wanting to open up my mouth for the next, <laughs> you know, how could anybody listen to me when I sound like that? How many people have had that experience of experience? Okay. It's so humbling. Well, that's kind of that's akin to what the, this feeling was like. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm like that. You know, how could I open up my mouth when people will know what I feel like inside or how I hear myself? Hmm. So. Um, I, well, actually, I've got a number of things that uh, that I've reflected on as as a good practice. But I think um, just since this is an informal group, um, before I say the things that uh, that have worked for me, you know, maybe they'll all come out from from you from this uh, from this group. Just what do you do when your mind knows, when your mind is wise and sees this is just a story I'm telling myself that I'm not good enough or that I'm, I'll be seen or, and exposed or that, you know, when you feel really young and you know it here, 
but you still feel it there. How can you deal wisely with that situation? What are some of the things that you might bring to, to that particular experience that allow you to go through what you need to go through? Anything, and we can use this as a talking stick. Don't feel you've got to come up with the, all, all the answers. I've got plenty to say, don't worry. <laughs> but I think I'd rather see if it, if it you know, I'd rather have it come from, from you and, uh, and then we can embellish on it. So, and when you speak to this, you speak directly into it and have your lips just almost touching it. And not like this, but like this. Okay, so this. Back there. That, it's the talking stick. Yeah. Ah? Uh, <laughs> just notice. I want you to say your name, too. My name is Sharon. Uh, one of the things I found that's really helpful for me when I'm feeling like that mm -hmm. is to think, I'm curious about this. Mm. I'm curious about where this is coming from. And instead of like going, <laughs> you know, like that revulsion or the, the running away or the pushing away of it, it's like, this is interesting. You know, where did this come from? Or, or I'm really curious about what this is and where I'm experiencing it like in my body someplace, and then just go there and be with it, and mm. be it as much as I can. Mm. Beautiful. So to, to bring the factor of investigation that's not recoiling in aversion, which just adds more contraction to the experience, but uses it as a chance to, um, to explore the landscape of that, that body of fear. Great. Thank you very much. That was worthwhile singing mm -hmm. yeah. into the microphone. Yeah. It, it ended yeah. up here. Right, right. So. Yeah. One thing I do is move. I, I know that um, it just helps my mind to get free a little bit. To move, to yes. physically to move physically your body. physically move, get up, force mm -hmm. myself to. Because um, a lot of times I notice um, this feeling is exacerbated by, by getting stuck physically. Mm -hmm. Great. So you get out of your head when you move your body and can move some of the energy going. Excellent. Great. What else? Here's. And what was your name? Uh, Sandy. Sandy. My name is Rona. And uh, I'm very much in this presently, going through a big transition in my life. Mm -hmm. And so when I remember to get out of the story, at that moment I go to investigate what's the basic emotion that's happening here. Because mm -hmm. there's the story, but then there's the underlying theme. And then, like Sharon, I think, I um, just stay with the the actual sensations in the body and um, just watch it and ride those waves of sensation mm -hmm. until they shift. Mm -hmm. Or if they shift, sometimes they, they stay for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I also use talking to my husband mm -hmm. as so a way to, because we're going through this transition together. Mm -hmm. And I also use my yoga practice uh, so uh, you mentioned a few things. Where it, the yoga practice is like, uh, like Sandy getting into your body and um, talking to your husband, having a good support, somebody that you, can, uh, that you don't have to keep it all within yourself, mm -hmm. and also going into the emotion, going from the story to explore, as, as Sharon said, just what's the experience of that emotion. And you, you said something really important when you said, uh, first you said, and I, I explore it until it shifts, but then you readjusted and said, if it shifts, and if it's there, it's there. And that's a very important point because if you're exploring in order for something to shift, you can't trick it. It knows. You know. <laughs> And that, again, is you're using your, your card of mindfulness, you know, aha, I'll just be mindful, and then it'll go. That worked before. And if you've got any kind of an agenda or, or program, 
then you've got some subtle aversion that you're feeding in there. So it's really allowing for it to be just the way it is and exploring uh, with curiosity. Yeah, I've really been practicing that lately to just allow what is to be. So that's the most difficult part. Mm, yeah. And I, in all practices, in yoga and meditation, just being with what shows up. Mm -hmm. And how has it been when you allow it? There's usually a spaciousness that happens. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but there's an opening. It doesn't go away, but there's more space perhaps to be with it. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. And sometimes not. Thanks. <laughs> right, but behind you. Um, thank you, everybody, for the things that you're saying. It's been very helpful. And as you're talking, I'm realizing that um, for me, the one thing or a couple of things that are very, very helpful is I have a really deep faith that doesn't seem to go away. I just recently... It took me about two years to get through a situation that was profoundly overwhelming. And what I realized is that my faith never wavered that not only would I not get through this, but that for some reason I was going to be a better person for it. And so throughout my experiences, I've been doing not just Vipassana, but other things for a long time. I try to be thankful for the pain and for the confusion because I know that this is just me being less than whole. So it's faith and thankfulness, I mm. think, that I rely on. Mm. Great. Thank you very much. And what's your name? Carol. Carol was her name. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mariana, Hi. and um, I have had <clears throat> a life that was 19 years of physical and emotional hell as a child, and then when I reached 45, I had six and a half years of menopausal hemorrhaging on and off through those years, and so my nervous system's pretty freaked out, <laughs> and it's never been my strong suit, but Faith, again, has been my strong suit. And um, the way that I do it now is, of course, using the principles I've learned here. But I do it in a little different way. I just ask myself, what have I been saying to myself? What a, you know, like Thich Nhat Hanh, what seeds are you watering? What, so I write down all the the fearful thoughts that I've been thinking probably for two or three days. They've been weaving themselves in, but now they're a real drumbeat. I write all those down. And then the other part, and then I, and then I say, well, how could I feel calm and, and serene with these kinds of little sort of bombers coming in and just going, I'm going to get you, you know? <laughs> and, and then I go to the place of the woman before me and I say, I know that something is coming to consciousness and I have to search within the pain to find the pearl of wisdom in there because there's something that's unsettled, that's unheard, that's un sort of equalized, dealt with. And uh, I, I, I trust the process that there's something in there that's valuable and let it open and, and help myself accept it and, and deal with it and get past it. So, mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, this has already been said. Yeah, put it closer to your mouth. Is this all right? It's, it's already been said in different ways, but um, I've whittle it down to one word and I give it a name. Is that is that okay? Yeah, speak up. Yeah, I, I whittle it down to one word and uh -huh. I give it a name, just one word. Like what? Um, well, frequently I feel anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I just keep sort of saying that name to myself 
and that seems to help. So you name it. Yeah, I give it a name, mm-hmm. and um, it really turned. It really started to turn things around for me. What what happens when when you do that? How a does sort it of a settling in my body, because because mm-hmm. I feel it. I feel it directly in my body, mm-hmm. and I just thought, what is this? You know, in my body, that comes back and comes back and haunts me. So, uh, in discovering what it is and giving it a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it doesn't like I, like everybody here said it doesn't make it go away but it somehow settles me mm-hmm. great there's in the uh, in mythology you know in fairy tales and uh, and, and uh, classical mythology all the stories when there's uh, demons or uh, dragons or some kind of monsters that were would be very powerful and, and and scary if the hero or the heroine could find out the name of the demon. You know what happens? Then kind of shrivels up and is this meek little thing, and that that's a lot how awareness works. That when you name it, it's not so confusing. So you're shining the light of awareness on it, and the. The, the scary uh, shadows start to uh, start to be seen with its power. Yeah. And My name is Teresa, and it's funny you mentioned the hearing the voice thing because, I mean, I recall back being younger and being mildly traumatized by hearing my voice. But even recently, you know, it still happens. And when I got, I moved to this area about a year ago, and. I got a cell phone from my work and I was in a point in my life where it was, it was kind of a solemn time and a, kind of a grieving time and I was t- having to leave my voicemail message, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, how do I want to sound and what do I want to say? And, and for the longest time I had this voicemail message that was like, hi, this is Teresa, please leave me a message. <laughs> and I thought, this is appropriate, sort of a grave, solemn, kind of stoic, you know, spiritually centered thing, you know. And I would listen to my message and I'd think, God, I sound dreary. And I'm sure my friends who know me as being much more outgoing are like, oh, Teresa's not doing so well up north. <laughs> and then I've had some more joy in my life lately, so I thought, I need to change my voicemail message. So just a few, like a week or two ago, I changed my voicemail message. And now I'm so shocked when I hear it because it's like, hi, this is Teresa, please leave me a message. And when I hear that, I'm so shocked because you have to push the little, you have to hear it before you push the little thing to hear your, and I keep hearing that. It's always kind of mildly traumatizing. I get this judgment that I hear my voice again, and I think, I think, oh gosh, you sound so shallow. You sound so bubbly and young, and just unsophisticated and immature. And and then, I guess my lesson in it all is to notice how much ego I have in that, like how much I want to sound like this evolved, you know, centered, deep person, (laughs) and that I don't want to be where I am in my life. And so to notice the ego in that, and then the great gift of I think of this practice is I the word gentle comes to mind gentle be gentle Teresa and be gentle with where you are in your life and it's your voice and it's okay so the noticing the ego and the gentleness is kind of my is the gift that comes to me mm-hmm. beautiful thanks Hi. and it's actually good that I'm talking <laughs> on this microphone because that's yeah. part of it <laughs> <laughs> My name is Irina, and two things go on for me. One is that I, I have really cultivated the practice of self-talk so that I can actually talk myself through it. And the other piece of that, and you kind of hit on it, is cultivating loving kindness t- towards myself when it happens. That the, the first place I used to go to was a place of judgment and kind of beating myself up, and now I'm trying to cultivate the place of going, oh, it's okay. You're doing the best you can. Mm -hmm. So cultivating that loving kindness and the self-talk is what works for me Mm -hmm. most of the time. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. 
Just a couple more. Um, usually when I feel that way, I'm something's going on in the environment. So <clears throat> for, for example, maybe I'm not feeling appreciated enough. So I say to myself, what do I need? And then I give it to somebody else. So if I say, oh, I need to feel appreciated, then I find someone that I really appreciate, authentically appreciate, mm. and I tell them that I do. And it's magical. It's like somehow or another that comes back to me. Mm -hmm. That's great. Because you're putting out a particular energy that, that magnetizes that, that energy. It, it must be. It's, you know, give what you need to get mm -hmm. theory. Mm -hmm. so. And it's also, it sets up the mind towards that particular um, energy, you know. If you focus on how you're not enough or how you need, how you, uh, uh, you know, whatever your particular demon is, how people are going to find out, you know, and you're focusing on that, that's the reality that you're watering, that you're, you're cultivating. If you focus on appreciating somebody else. It's, it's the energy of appreciation that starts to, um, to be resonating and tuned into. It's, it's a lot like how prayer works too, you know. Whether or not you believe in uh, a deity, uh, God, or uh, the Dharma, or whatever, that in prayer rather than getting into our fearful space, we focus our, our mind on something, on an uplifting vision, an uplifting possibility, particularly if the prayer isn't, you know, oh my God, please, I'm going to die if I don't get such and such. It's more, uh, uh, may I have this, or may I have that. And you, you kind of, you're bringing a vision in your, in your consciousness that aligns with your whole, with your spirit and your, your both spiritual and mental consciousness as well as your physical consciousness. And so it starts opening up to that. So that, that's a wonderful practice. Thank you. So, Joe? Um, my name is Joe. And two things came to mind. Um, it, this isn't my line. I can't remember whose it is. It's maybe yours or Sylvia's. Um, when the stories go and the tapes play, that moment where you think, wait a minute, I know the end of this movie. I know how this ends. You know, it's been going through my mind, you know, a million times. And to just be gentle with it and just to, to know you don't have to go there. And okay, I'm not going to sit to the end this time because I already know. And then the other thing is the you know, being sweet to yourself and kind of maybe touching your heart when you're saying, I'm doing the best I can. And then the other thing, and I think that's yours, James. And then the other thing for me is um, if it's if something's coming up, maybe I'm brushing my teeth and you're thinking and you're kind of looking in the mirror. And then whatever mood it is, if it's something that you don't, that I don't want, I'll say, oh, there's my old friend fear. Hello, and then, or there's my old friend depression. Oh, good morning. And then just give it a little, and it's the talking to it. And, and then once you identify it, it's exactly right. I love that about the dragon. Once you say what it is, it's almost like it shifts over for a, for a small time. It's not to say that it doesn't come back, but mm -hmm. yeah. Great. Thank you. Is it, is that it? Okay. Two more, and then um, we'll go. I just want to say that... Here, I, go, you go. Use the talking stick. There's a, the, I don't know if any of you know or who knows Angela Sarian, but mm -hmm. she talks about this. Um, and what she says is that on a daily basis, you have to be able to say yes to this question, which is, is the good beautiful and true in my nature as loud as the whispers of the demons and the monsters? Mm. And you need to be able to say yes. <laughs> and one last one. Oh, and I wonder, uh, my name is Yurit. Uh, and I wonder if sometimes the unsecured child speaks to us because the situation is unsecured. And uh, there is a lot of wisdom in the 
a message of the child and I know that I get too adult. Uh, I, I get too adult uh -huh. and too uh, mind and to know it and sometimes the child calls to me because uh, it's unsafe around and I need to listen to that and mm -hmm. and uh, there is some wisdom in the imperfection of uh, of the little child that uh, I live in Israel and it is unsafe mm -hmm. and uh, and um, my plan is to move out soon and in some way I feel that I was won by the system. Um, here I am, one of the good guys getting out and the system won and, uh, and another part of me knows that for the child inside me it is the right thing to do to move out because it is indeed um, no longer safe for my spiritual being to be there. And other people do the 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 peace walk right there, and it's their way. Uh, so I'm just suggesting that um, uh, another way to look at the um, uh, the wounded child is that to see if it's just the mind playing tricks or or is is some action called for too. That's mm -hmm. an excellent point and um, thank you for bringing it up. And what what the practice is is seeing is really listening to um, to the voices and seeing is there Let me just turn it off. Um, seeing, is there something that needs attending here? Because fear can be a very important signal. And to, to see there is this natural survival that we have. If we didn't have signals for fear, we would step, our, step into harm's way and be... Um, and be finding ourselves in, uh, in a lot of danger un unnecessarily. So to listen to it and say, what is going on here? And a lot of times it can be a very strong intuition, this is not right. That's very different from the voices we tell ourselves that are, that are simply um, coming out of worry and, uh, and imagination. And the Buddha talked a lot about removing yourself from dangerous situations. In order to do that, you have to really listen to the voices. But the, the art is discerning whether this is connected with reality or a creation of our own reality. So I think this is very, very important. And even when, when it is, when there's not a, a real fear out there, but an internal fear that, uh, that might not be connected to any particular tangible evidence, it's something you don't want to dismiss out of hand and say, oh no, I shouldn't be having those thoughts. It's just little childish thoughts. There might be, so, there is something going on inside that needs to be uh, respected and honored rather than just dismissed. So, and how we hold it and how we honor it is really the key, whether it's going to run us or we can deal with it skillfully. So, I'll just share a, a few of the, the um, approaches that, uh, that seem to be useful, both from uh, the Buddha's teachings and also my own personal experience. Um, First of all, the Buddha talked about one support for practice when the meditation, when the clarity isn't there. One of the, one of the five main supports for practice is uh, reflecting on impermanence. So here you are in the middle of a really tough time. Your mind knows better, but you feel like a six-year-old, 
if you can remember that this is something that you're going through right now which will not be here for the rest of your life there's uh, a little bit more willingness and courage to be right where you are it's only when we when we think uh oh i'm really stuck for good now or not for good but stuck with no way out that we forget and then things get very scary and we start pushing the panic button to reflect okay probably sometime in in the future i will laugh again i'll be playful again i'll feel myself again and this isn't the way it will always be is a, a very important reflection and with that giving you enough courage to as so many people have been saying uh, be with your experience uh, a second reflection which is uh, one way of understanding uh, taking refuge in the dharma the the word dharma talks about points to the body of teachings the buddha dharma but on a more fundamental level the word dharma is um, the truth the natural unfolding of things we all have our dharma journey for instance and life is unfolding in a lawful way and when we take refuge in the dharma one way of thinking of it is that we are given in every moment just what we need to wake up mm-hmm. that understanding brings about a different relationship with what's happening right now instead of thinking this is some kind of horrible mistake you know if i were running the universe i'd do a much better job than this how do i get out of this one this is you know i i i i somehow took a detour and i got really messed up if that trust in the process as somebody said it is taking the the understanding of refuge in the dharma then there's this attitude okay this is a tough one right right now for me what can i learn from this the universe is giving me another opportunity to somehow deal with this old companion with this old demon how can i do it in a way that um that makes it a a useful meaningful excursion into the dark night so that's a second one impermanence that it won't last forever to that you're given what you need to wake up and these are all kind of aligned third how can we we move into a difficult place and give it meaning so here's one way that i think of as as give as as ha- finding the courage to go into these dark places and that is seeing that what you're cultivating the wisdom and the courage that you're cultivating as you enter into those places not only is beneficial for you but becomes beneficial for everybody in your life because the more we're able to go into those dark places the less frightened we are when we encounter somebody else in that in those places mm-hmm. not only the less frightened but the more understanding and compassion we can bring to them we're not afraid of them of of being in that place it's like if you're having a hard time for instance and somebody is 
you're with somebody who hasn't done that kind of work and touches off in them their own fear so that they want to get you out of that place for their own sake as well. Oh, what do we do? We've got to, you know, how can we fix this? How can we, you know, and they want to rescue you because they're too frightened to feel it themselves. It triggers something in them. That's not a very healing environment, is it? You know, how can, it, how can we make it better for you? Oh, I feel so bad. That's very different than being there with somebody who knows that place well and says, yeah, I know that one. It's really hard, isn't it? Tell me about it. And they're not frightened to, to hear what's going on with you. And they're not trying to fix you either, but they just know that place so well that the territory isn't confusing. That's a very healing environment. You know, that's, that's, I think, one of the things that everybody I know who, who leads retreats or who's there for people in, uh, in the middle of their, their most vulnerable space um, knows that they've visited those terrifying places themselves. Otherwise, uh, it would be hard to, to sit with somebody there. But if you just say, oh yes, here we are. Life is really hard and we can be here for it. And you can be a, a still and spacious presence and loving witness what a gift to others. So if you think as you're going through that tough place <clears throat> that you're doing it not only for yourself, but as a bodhisattva act for everybody in your life who you know or people who you don't perhaps even know yet, that gives both a little bit more courage and inspiration to say, okay, I'm doing this for all beings. I'm going through this dark night of the soul as my contribution to develop a bit more understanding and compassion with this space in, in the human condition. Having that as a, the, a bodhisattva act really up-levels the whole experience. Uh, um, there's a few more. Um, it's been uh, it's been said. Actually, a few of these have been said. One one of my main practices when we're, when I'm stuck, caught in the struggle, is just asking myself the question: What thought am I believing right now? What story? is another way of saying it. I just use that one. What thought am I believing? And in that moment, I see the emptiness of the story. That doesn't mean that it no longer, that the residue isn't there and the body doesn't get contracted. But the one story that usually is on top of the initial story is, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Or, I've got it more together by now. I'm much more evolved. You know? That's the thought that's particularly um, confusing and destructive. On top of the, the first one that says, you know, oh, it's scary in here, and uh, I feel really young, and I hope people don't see. Or, uh, then there's the second thought, I'm a spiritual person. I should have it more together. <laughs> Shoot, what's going on here? And if you see that thought as really, in, in, uh, in, in the Buddha's teaching, there's this expression, uh, not shooting a second dart on top of the first. <laughs> or in Zen, it's, it's also uh, called not adding a second head. Right? One head is difficult enough. Then you've got, I shouldn't be feeling this way. The Buddha has this uh, a beautiful um, uh, discourse uh, in, in the suttas about shooting one dart and then uh, shooting another one on top of it by compounding and thinking you shouldn't be feeling what you, what you, 
what you're feeling. And when you, when you do that, you become human again. And you let yourself be simply who you are, going through the foibles of the human experience. There's, uh, there's been studies, actually, just as, as an aside, uh, when, you see a, uh, when you're working in therapy, there's two models of therapy. Uh, one model is, the, is called the competent model, where the therapist has it all together, and they disclose very little of who they are, and you aspire to the perfection and the, the, uh, the togetherness that that therapist represents. And then there's also what's called the learning to cope model, where the therapist uh, has enough humanity that they reveal that they're, they don't have it all together, but they're just sorting things out in their own life and maybe have some real wisdom and guidance to share with you and be there as a support for you. And in um, study after study, it's seen that the learning to cope model is much more effective, actually. And so when we can be human, when we can let down our facade of wisdom and deep spirituality to just say, well, I'm having a tough time here right now, there's a place that we connect on a personal level that others that, that can be freeing for others. It's not like you've got to be completely, you know, uh, dysfunctional all the time. <laughs> you know, if you are, then you know. Uh, what was it? Your clients will help you. Your clients will help you. Yeah, but even as a friend. Even as a friend, it's not like you've got to be completely dysfunctional, but being real enough so that people can, uh, can see your humanity is re it's really a gift. And then the thing that ultimately you come back to, for me, is your own sincerity and basic goodness. Uh, I've shared this before with, uh, in, in this group, I, I have a feeling, but I'll share it again, that um, it's your own sincerity of motivation that is your protection. I remember being around the Dalai Lama at, at this conference with some uh, Western teachers in Dharamsala, and one day uh, he was asked, how do you deal with all the suffering around you? Because he sees people in lots and lots of suffering, gone through torture and all kinds of horrendous stories. And he said, without missing a beat, my sincere motivation is my protection. And then the next day somebody said, how do you deal with all the fear? Because there is some, a lot of fear that people have been experienced and traumatized by. And he also says that sometimes he gets afraid. And he said, again, without missing a beat, my sincere motivation is my protection. And if you come back to your basic sincerity of motivation to wake up and your basic goodness, this is the thing that carries you along, whether you're in the middle of a difficult moment or at the end of your life, just remembering your basic goodness. This is the, 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 uh, the comfort and the protection that carries you. And when you're having a really hard time, it says, I just don't know if I can make it. Particularly, I don't know if I'm worthy enough to make it. Because that quality of unworthiness can creep in as all of this is activated. You come back to your own goodness. You come back to your own sincere dedication to the truth and to opening your heart. And that becomes a source of great inspiration. And then finally, the, the last thing that I'll mention is um, it's, it's been 
It's a little bit uh, been mentioned, but I want to share with you an exercise that, uh, as we close, that brings it more directly. And that is not feeling that you need to do it all on your own. And as somebody said, to reach out to your partner or to reach out to a friend or to, to speak with somebody, that keeps you from feeling so isolated and feeling the whole world is on your shoulders or if you're exposed, you know, then everything will crumble. But to really reach out and call out for refuge in connection and in the Sangha. And there's one loving kindness that I want to uh, share with you, uh, a practice of loving kindness that I find particularly helpful to open up and receive the support of others around you as we close. So um, I'd like you to uh, be in a somewhat meditative posture. And first feel your heart center. And get in touch with your own sincerity that would bring you to Spirit Rock on a Wednesday morning. Get in touch with your own basic goodness and commitment to the truth and to kindness. Let yourself appreciate that authentic quality. And then, if you can relate to other forces at play besides your own (laughs) inner world, that there's more than meets the eye, whether you call it God, or the Dharma, or Devas, or benevolent energies around you in life. Call on these forces. Let them respond to your own goodness of heart and call on them to come and support you. They respond to one's own sincere call. And if you can envision a field of benevolent energy surrounding you, Feel that field surrounding you and within you, holding you. Protecting you. Guiding you. And supporting you. If this field had a color, just see what color it might be. This field of benevolent energy. And as you feel it, let yourself relax into it. Trust it. Be held by it. And have the understanding that you don't have to do it all on your own. That there's support for you if you invite it and reach out. that gets you through the dark nights, 
the scary places, the old tapes and the body of fear when it gets activated. Just let yourself feel that support. And know that it's always here for you when you call on it. And it's here for you and for everyone that you touch, because the more you can trust in it, the more you can be there for others when they go through their own difficulties. So you can take that with you when you go through your difficult times. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.